Greetings and welcome to the Net Positive Podcast. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and this episode features a conversation with Phyllis Curry. She's been a highly respected electric and water utility executive in California and now is chair of the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator. I met Phyllis at Los Angeles Department of Water and Power and admire her strength and the thoughtful path that she leads in life. Phyllis, welcome to the Net Positive Podcast. I'm delighted to have you on. It's been many, many, many moons since we worked together, but I was, it, was, it was terrific to get together and reconnect in the past few months. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. It's really a pleasure to do this. Let's, let's go all the way back. I try to make these interviews as personal as possible. We'll get into some technical stuff. Born and raised in Los Angeles, right? South Central Los Angeles, okay. Yeah. How many, how many brothers and sisters? None. My mother stopped with me. Okay. <laughs> and what did you, what, what did your parents do? What, what was their thing? My dad worked in a dry cleaners. Uh, he was pretty good as a spotter. Okay. That's when you had all the bad chemicals, but he could get us, he could get anything cleaned. Yeah. And then my mother was the secretary. She worked 35 years for uh, the county of L.A. And so, um, you know, that's what they did. Isn't that great? Isn't that, mm-hmm. So when you were a little girl, what did, you, what did you envision that you would be doing? Well, I first had visions of being a police officer, a police woman, you know. And there weren't many women doing those kinds of things then. And, you know, after that... Um, I guess my big thing is I just wanted to get to UCLA. That was always my goal, to go to UCLA. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to do afterwards. Well, that's a good goal. How did you make that happen? A lot of, a lot of studying. I studied. I studied, you know. Yeah. And um, in my high school, uh, we, I had pretty good teachers, and they really uh, tried to make sure that we were going to meet all of the requirements. So, you know the sciences and the English and the math. And so uh, I didn't have any trouble getting in. You were a political science major, right? Yeah, that was after starting as a math major. Math turned out to be more difficult than I think I wanted to do. Then I became a history major. And uh, after a while, I got tired of that. So then by going through the catalog and checking off all of the classes that I'd already taken, it got down to political science. And I thought, I can handle that. <laughs> and then did you just go right after? I know you got your master's degree at, at UCLA also. Was that right after or was there a period of time in between? No, there was a big gap. Yeah. Uh, I got my bachelor's, went to work for the city. And, you know, I probably would not have gone back and done the uh, executive MBA program had it not been for a young engineer at DWP. She was doing the fully employed uh, MBA program, and she was having some difficulty getting tuition reimbursement. So I was a CFO then. She came to see me, and, you know, I worked it out. And then she came back a week later and said, I told the dean about you. You need to be in the executive MBA program. And I said, nah, no, my time has passed. I'm not doing that. But lo and behold, she talked me into it. I went to see the dean. 
I took the GMAT, got in the program, and graduated. Isn't that great? And this was, I mean, you worked for the city for 30 years. You worked for the city of L.A. Yeah, yeah. Rent control, assistant um, uh, CAO, right? Yeah. Uh, Chief accounting officer's office. I was a budget analyst, labor relations, you name it. I did it. And then at DWP for six years, Department of Water and Power, six or seven years. About seven, yeah. It was during that period that you went back and did this program. Yeah, I did that program in 95, 95, 96, 97. And believe me, when you're working full time and you've got a child and you're doing that program, you don't go to the movies. You don't go out to dinner. Your friends stop calling you because you can't do anything but study. You have a, a lot of discipline built in, it sounds like, right? Well, I guess I'm goal-oriented. If I decide I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it, you know. But the program was really exhilarating. I mean, it was one of the best things I did in life. And it made me uh, more technology-oriented and up-to-date than I would have been otherwise. When I started that program, my secretary had to turn on my computer every day, okay? When I got out of that program, I could do Word, PowerPoint, financial analysis, you name it, okay? I think my staff worried every Monday morning when I came in because I would have learned something. And then I'm going to ask them some very probing questions and want some different analyses. Okay. And I'm sure they will say to themselves, what's she got to come up with today? <laughs> okay. But they, they were very supportive. My staff was really supportive. And it sounds like that, that program really propelled you and prepared you for the GM position at Pasadena Water and Power. Uh, yeah. It, it changed my thinking. It yeah. really changed my thinking about business and about leadership and, you know, how to, uh, how to try to manage change, how to motivate people. No, it, it really was uh, life altering. Okay. So I contribute to UCLA every year because it was, it's been such an influence on my life. That's terrific. That's terrific. Let's, uh, let's talk about some of your, your greatest accomplishments at LADWP. That's where I met you and you were the chief financial officer there. What would you say were the, some of the big, the momentous moments in your time at LADWP? Well, I did a lot of the bond financing. And, you know, when I got there, uh, you know, DWP had very aggressive capital plans. But uh, that was about the time when deregulation was starting. I mean, um, FERC. Uh, they passed the open access rules. And in, in talking to people, it, it became very clear that there was going to be some challenges with the uh, amount of debt that DWP had on generation. So that became one of the critical elements that we had to take a look at and, and try to manage so that we could keep our rates low and be competitive in, uh, in a deregulated environment. I mean, th this was the uh, 90s and, you know, everybody was looking forward to deregulation. So working with my staff and with the power system, you know, we were able to come up with some strategies to uh, try to uh, refund some of our debt, lower the interest costs, but also accelerate the payment of it. 
and move more of our debt to the distribution side where we thought, you know, the customer base would, would stay there. So working on these financial strategies, I mean, those are the things that I really remember. And I still have lunch with a lot of my direct reports. And because we worked so closely trying to manage the financial end of it, but also to uh, communicate, you know, with the, the rest of the department and the power system about the challenges that DWP had to manage in the financial uh, changes that had to be made. And I can remember many times um, uh, there would be articles in the paper about DWP is going to go bankrupt. And I would know, no, we're not going bankrupt. We're going to be just fine. We're going to manage through this. So, you know, we had to go in for rate increases. We had to go in for debt restructuring. So that was a lot of what my focus was. And those are the things that I remember a lot. And then along came a guy named S. David Freeman. Who, uh, who hired me, and we, we spoke of uh, very fondly the other day. Uh, what, what, did, what did he bring to the table? Well, I always tell people working for Dave was not a day at the beach. Uh, you know, he was a very tough taskmaster. He had, uh, Dave had a clear vision about climate change way before others. So he was challenging a lot of the uh, plans uh, around the coal plant in Utah. And he just, you know, he, he challenged everything. And so working with him, you really had to be able to prove, you know, your position, hold your position. And he was difficult, but I have to say, I learned a lot from him. Okay. Uh, long after I left working at DWP and went to Pasadena, I would have situations that I would be confronted with. And then I'd ask myself, how would Dave handle this, okay? And he taught me to be bold, to um, not shy away from a problem, you know, jump right into it and deal with it. And so I get, I get a lot of credit to him for that. But as I said, you know, working for him was tough. Uh, I think even today, you go to any public power conference, mention his name, in the next two hours, people will tell Dave Freeman stories because he got around and a lot of people knew him. You know, I did have a chance to talk to him. Uh, I guess it was 2019. Uh, he called me uh, while I was chair of MISO. And we had a brief conversation about some of the project he was working on. But at the end of it, he said how proud he was of people like me and Angelina Galateva and Marcy Edwards, you know, some of the women that he worked with. And that was nice to hear. Very influential, very influential in my career. Yeah. Well, I love the fact that you ask yourself, what would Dave do? He would love to, he would love <laughs> yeah. to, he would love to, who wouldn't, who wouldn't love to hear that? You went yeah. to Pasadena Water and Power, you were offered the position of being the general manager. And so how was that, the, the CFO at DWP, which is a much bigger utility, you go to Pasadena, it's much much smaller, uh, but significant size. It's tied, very much tied to the community of Pasadena. What was the Pasadena experience like? Well, it was a great experience. And, you know, I'm still pretty much connected to Pasadena. I'm in the Pasadena Rotary Club. I'm on the program committee. Uh, I just joined an outfit called the Twilight Club. That's a Pasadena group. 
So I still have a lot of friends and a lot of regard for for the city and 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 what it represents. I think having uh, gone to UCLA and gone done the uh, MBA program was really good for me because uh, it gave me um, you know more to to contribute in a leadership role than I might have thought about had I not done that program. Uh, clearly, having worked at LA. I had confronted a lot of issues. LA and Pasadena share a lot of resources on the water side, as well as the electric side. They belong to a lot of the same joint action agencies. So it was pretty familiar. The difference was, uh, again, it's, it's more community oriented. And I had a lot of interaction with people in the community as we try to develop plans for our resources. You know, Pasadena uh, wanted to be green a lot sooner than a lot of cities. And so that was, you know, a major uh, influence on the long-term resource plans that we did both for electricity, but also um, on the conservation side of the water system. And so, you know, there were a lot of people in Pasadena who they got on these, you know, I had these stakeholder groups for some of the bigger initiatives because the city council wanted to have a longer, they wanted to have a bigger view, if you will, about where are we going uh, with a particular decision. They just didn't want to look at a little, you know, one or two year snapshot. And so working with a lot of the people in the community uh, we were able to come up with some strategies that had a lot of buy-in. And so, you know, our long-term resource plan started targeting renewable energy uh, and greenhouse gas reductions that exceeded the goals that the state had at the time. Our water plans uh, looked at um, replacing the distribution mains. I mean, I learned from watching the water system at LA deal with the aging infrastructure, knowing that going to Pasadena, we needed to look at the aging infrastructure. And so uh, we went to the community about the investment that we had to make in those water mains and the cost. And I think what helped was at the time, LA was starting to have major uh, breaks so at the evening news at 11 o'clock, you'd see water rushing through the streets. And I'd go to a community meeting two days after and remind people that could be us, okay? And uh, the community was very supportive of the rate increases that we needed in Pasadena to start tackling those issues. Uh, and then another thing that uh, happened in Pasadena that I'm really very proud of is uh, when I took the job, you know, the city manager, uh, she had, you know, two or three things high, uh, high on her list of goals. And one of them was groundwater contamination. So Pasadena has a groundwater basin and there was a lot of contamination that came about from the days when there was uh, uh, testing at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. So some of the waste seeped into the groundwater and so that was a significant issue. And uh, working with uh, Caltech and our mayor and our elected officials, particularly uh, 
Senator Dianne Feinstein, we were able to negotiate an agreement where NASA funded a treatment plant. And that treatment plant will be operating for many, many years, cleaning up the groundwater. So, I mean, that was, that, 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 that was a big lift in terms of what we had to do, but we got it done. We also got a lot of support. So uh, the Metropolitan Water District was very supportive. So I'd say one of the things I learned uh, at UCLA is you find stakeholders, you find allies, and you try to marshal that support to, to get to what you have to do. You don't, you, you don't do big things by yourself. You do it with the support of others. Very interesting. And then after what, 13 years, you said- 14. 14. You said, Fourteen. I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> It's, it's time for me, Phyllis Curry, to, to be able to travel the world and to kick back a little bit. Uh, and then what happened? I started my active retirement, okay? Which is what I tell people now, I have an active retirement. So uh, the first year I went on uh, uh, the Department of, the U.S. Department of Energy has um, an electricity advisory committee. So I was on that committee for a couple of years. And then uh, I got elected to the uh, board of directors for the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator. And that, better known as MISO, is an uh, entity that uh, manages the transmission grid in 15 Midwest states plus the uh, Canadian province of Manitoba. And then also they run an energy market and they do long-term transmission planning. So I've been on that board since 2016. It, it's a great experience. Uh, I've been chair of the board for the last three years. And so it, it's just really, it's, it's, it's kept me in the mix of a lot of the things that are happening in the electricity world. Uh, MISO is moving into more renewables. They're not as far along as the California ISO, but certainly, uh, all of those states just about have moved to some form of clean energy goal. So MISO has uh, put out uh, papers and concepts about what they call the reliability imperative. And it really looks at all of the actions that collectively have to take place so that you can manage a clean energy future. So it's, it's not just um, one thing, it's looking at how different the market's going to be, all the renewables that you're going to have uh, and, and the, the decline of fossil fuels. It looks at uh, the transmission that's needed to connect the renewables to where the electrical load is. It looks at how the operating protocols need to change and how you employ technology. And then the final part of it is the, the, the uh, systems that have to be uh, developed or, or substantially changed so you can manage all of those distributed resources, okay? So it's a major undertaking. Um, the stakeholder uh, discussion is, is very uh, animated, shall we say, as you might imagine. Getting consensus is tough. Cost allocation is something that people have very different ideas about. But, you know, the MISO stakeholder community is big and it's robust, 
but people really engage and they come from a very sincere point of view. So um, I, I just enjoy working in that atmosphere. Yeah, you said that, and it sounds like they really made a good decision uh, in recruiting you to come to, where do you go, to Indianapolis to for your meetings, and I can see why you'd be so valuable. Now, some I would imagine some of the board members must think that, you know, the Californians are kind of Fruit Loops, uh, always doing the crazy things and spending way too much money on, on the green stuff, and others must see California as the vision of the future. Well, you know, I, I think one of the things I've learned is when you're engaged in these discussions, you find out California may have one form of handling these issues, but it's not the only way. And uh, so we have someone from New York on our board. So he clearly sees a lot of changes there. Uh, We've got um, people from Washington, DC, Ohio, Florida. Uh, In fact, we have a former ERCOT uh, CEO on our board. Uh, we've got a former CEO of MidAmerica. So, I mean, we've got people that are really smart, engaged, and that's what makes the board so good. And that's why I enjoy it so much. We just have a stellar group of nine people that are really engaged and, uh, you know, they, they come with a lot of different uh, perspectives. You're also involved with this Hometown Connections, which I guess is a is sort of the consulting arm of the American Public Power Association. Is that right? You're, are these sort of yeah. former executives that are on call to go out to uh, address issues in public power? Well, Hometown has been around for quite some time. I mean, it's really tried to provide supportive consulting, but also services for particularly the smaller uh, public power entities. Uh, you know, the, the Los Angeles and um, the Austin energies of the world, they can handle, they can take care of themselves. But uh, smaller uh, utilities sometimes need the ability to aggregate their, their ask, if you will, to get competitive pricing on services, technology, and the like. Now, uh, the consulting part, you know, we do do that individually. I've worked with several uh, municipalities, uh, it, particularly in California. I try to stay out of the Midwest so I don't have conflicts with MISO. But um, I just finished working with Hometown as they're trying to uh, find a vendor who can provide uh, uh, work and asset management systems and mobile workforce solutions. So, you know, the technology need is great. And providing technology at a cost that smaller utilities can afford, that's a challenge. And so Hometown is really trying to, uh, to help in that area. But I've been with them since uh, 2016. So, you know, I've, I've, really, I've really grown to uh, uh, favor the, the Hometown mission. Let's talk about uh, some of your board positions, especially the Association for Women in water, energy, and the environment. What, 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 is, what are you doing with that organization? Why is it important to you to be on that board? Well, I'm one of the founding members. Uh, I've always been around for a little over 10 years now. And it really developed just as a group of women that got together and decided that uh, 
the women in the industry needed a support group. And so we formed OWI. And, uh, you know, over the years, uh, we've gotten more members. We've had some outstanding conferences. And we have a mentorship program that people really seem to uh, find value in. And even with the pandemic, uh, we have a, a, a very smart uh, executive director. She helped us pivot to a virtual uh, environment. So our meetings went to uh, you know virtual sessions and we're holding our membership and still being able to be very, very active. But I think AWI is a place where uh, any woman in the industry, and, and, and you know, we, we focus on water, energy, the environment, but we would not turn away somebody to say from transportation, okay? But they can come and they can get resources, they can attend events, they can listen to people give them tips on how to get, um, get along in their career, but they can also be in a welcoming environment where they can just feel comfortable. And they can talk about, you know, what is it like to be the only woman in the room? Or what's it like when you, you know, you've got childcare problems and you've got this meeting that you just must attend. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's that side of AWI that I think is really special. Probably during your career, you saw in the electric utility industry, you, you saw a major change, didn't you? How are we doing in terms of uh, women in the workforce in the electric utility world? When I started the New York Power Authority in 1984, uh, it was it was mostly an all male uh, all male staff. Well, there's a lot of men still, but the women are moving up. You know, uh, if you look at public power, you look at the investor-owned utilities. You've got many more women in leadership roles. You've got women uh, in mid-level positions moving up. Uh, uh, to just give you an example, the MISO board of directors. It's nine members five women now, okay? And uh, I know women that have moved on to a very important positions running the transmission uh, grid. Uh, they're running the uh, operations center. So the women are, are doing better. You know, uh, I was in Indianapolis two weeks ago speaking on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, I had a chance to talk to the MISO people, but I also talked to uh, an out outfit called ACES Power Marketing. And, uh, you know, they're, they're an example of how utilities uh, and energy and water-related organizations are really thinking about diversity and inclusion. And they're trying to uh, find ways to connect with their staffs, show why it's important, but also make it important to everybody. So the white males, you know, uh, trying to help them see why it is an important issue for them. It's not just for minorities, it's not just for women. You're also on the board of Grid Alternatives, which is one of my favorite organizations that is a clever business model of getting all sorts of donations of solar equipment and labor and volunteers and and putting solar systems on low-income households. Uh, talk about that organization, how you got involved, and, and uh, how great they are. GRID is a wonderful organization. I actually got into GRID by virtue of 
uh, a woman who had retired from the California ISO. She called me up one day and said, you're retired. There's this great organization for you to become a part of. And so I've been on their board almost six years. And uh, it is a group of very, very committed people. And while I'm on the headquarters board, GRID has uh, a number of affiliates. And each of the affiliates has a community board that supports it as well as a committed staff that runs the projects in those areas. But I think the, um, the mission of uh, bringing clean energy to uh, low income neighborhoods, but also the uh, training, the job training that they provide is really compelling. And uh, I'm just blown away by the commitment of the staff on an individual level. You know, um, you know sometimes when you're on a board, you're kind of removed from what's happening day to day. But we've had a couple of board meetings where we were able to hear from uh, the executive directors of the affiliates and what they're doing in their programs. And, and it's really inspiring, you know, what they're, what they're able to accomplish. Uh, RIN has two visionary co-CEOs um, and it's kind of like a, a outside person and an inside person. But both of them, the talent that they combine to lead the organization is just amazing. Well, you sure are having an active, an active retirement. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you're, you're, you're obviously doing really well with it. Um, not only being productive, but being fulfilled, I, I can, can clearly see. How are you maintaining a balance in your life? Well, first of all, I don't take on anything where I have to be in the same place every day like a job, okay? So being able to control my schedule and to, you know, have a day where, you know, I'm taking my cat to the vet or I'm reading or I'm going walking with my friends or I'm working out, you know, with my trainer of 15 years, you know, that's the fun part. That's the good part about being retired. Uh, I've got a trip to Puerto Vallarta in about 10 days. Um, and, you know, I, I, I stay connected with my friends. As I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, I still can have lunch with some of the guys that I worked with over the years. And, and it's just good to stay with people that, you know, are part of your past. I'm not a person that lets go easily. So... The people I've worked with, I still want to check in with them, see how they're doing. Well, it sounds like you've got a terrific work-life balance going and a trainer of 15 years. How often do you train? Oh, yeah. How often do you train? How often are you working out? Well, we, we I just started back. Um, we're down to one week. I, I have a friend. She's a retired veterinarian, lives near me. And so we have split this trainer for the last 15 years. So we used to be in the gym two mornings a week. So then the pandemic hit. And so we stopped doing that. Then we went to the park. Okay. And we started training with them in the park. And then I broke my arm. So I had to stop that for six months. So now I'm just getting back. And I was there this morning. Okay. At 630. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. And I love the, the, the travel plan. It's always so great to have a trip coming up, something yeah. to look forward to. Yeah. This has been, uh, 
This has been delightful. And uh, I've learned from you, I've learned about your life, and I, I'm sure you will inspire others. And I, I love what you said about UCLA and getting that executive MBA and how that really ratcheted up your, your not, not just your career, but your impact uh, out yeah. there. And, and um, so congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank I've enjoyed this, Ted. This has been fun. Great. Let's be in touch. Have a great okay. afternoon. All right. You too. Bye-bye. That's it. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of The Net Positive. We'll see you next time. Thank you.